Welcome to another episode of On the Edge with Eddie, detangling our Black identities. I am your host, Eddie Etty. I am, of course, super excited for you to be joining our journey to explore all the different shades of Black identities, have real conversations, and of course, discussions. You know, I tell you all the time, our conversations, discussions, stories, are not meant to degrade, discourage, or prove a point. Explain Black identities is all about learning, empowering, and giving people a voice to tell their stories, and at times be a voice for those people who don't feel comfortable telling their stories or speaking out. Hashtag that all Black people are the same. Hey, today I have my boy, Keith Burrell. I think I'm saying the last name wrong. I have the last name no, wrong. But you're it's you're probably, saying it right. right. Keith Burrell. Hey, listen, my man Keith is part of um, I'm, uh, my Black Men in Technology group, an extremely intelligent brother, kind of handsome too, although he's already taken, so don't even think about it. <laughs> um, Keith has a twin brother, actually, and I didn't even know that he had a twin brother. I saw him one day, and I was like, oh, hey, Keith. And like the brother looked at me like, um, I'm sorry, I'm not Keith. And then, of course, here comes Keith, and I swear, they look exactly alike. Now, y'all, they say black people don't look alike. Keith and the twin brother, they, they're exactly alike. They're yeah, identical. yeah. Uh, and I've known Keith for a minute now. Again, great guy, down to earth, absolutely amazing. Um, and, man, my conversation with Keith is going to be off the chain because Keith is an honest man. I mean, again, he tells it like it is. I mean, I, you know, that's because that's what I do, right? I just bring yep. people to the show to tell like it is, and Keith is no different. Um, Keith right now is an application developer at the University of Iowa Healthcare, um, where he really um, provides uh, uh, reporting and analytics. Um, and uses his expertise to help department providers and researchers within their data needs. Again, my man is a data guy, a bachelor, uh, bachelor's degree in computer science at the yep. University of Iowa. Great guy. Keith, welcome to On the Edge with Eddie. How are you doing, my man? What's going hey, on? What's going Eddie, on? Eddie, I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for having me on. I was looking forward to this as soon as you said, let's do it. I'm like, let's go ahead and do it. <laughs> That's right. Let's do it. Hey, listen, thank you so much for doing this, though. I mean, your, your story is amazing. I mean, I can't, I can't, I can't wait to detangle you. Mm -hmm. uh, let's kick things off. You're a black island. Um, you, you're like, you, you're a black yep. island, true and true. Um, you were born in Iowa, grew up in Iowa, and now you work in Iowa. I mean, so when we talk about the Midwest and the limited amount of Black people, I am really excited to talk about your story because, you know, you have a unique perspective of the Midwest because you were born nope. in Brazil, right? So yep. let's go back a little bit um, and talk about where you were born. Tell me a little bit about what it was like growing up in Iowa um, and mm -hmm. going to school in Iowa. Again, Iowa is predominantly white um, uh, state. Um, and, you know, let's talk about being black in Iowa. What was okay, it like? So, so <laughs> let me go ahead and, and give a breakdown here. So I'm the youngest out of seven boys and one girl. Mm. Um, my family members, they're my best friends, man. Like it's, 
it's awesome being in a big family and being there during Christmas time. I remember like holidays were the best because everybody was around and everything like that. But at the same time, like when you're a part of a big family, now all of a sudden, like I have a voice before when I was younger, I didn't really have a voice, but now I have a voice. Now it's like, there are too many voices in here. So it, it's a lot of fun until we all start arguing. And then I'm just like, ah. but you know, we get through it. We get through it. And so I've, I was born in Cedar Rapids. I was raised in Cedar Rapids, right? And so um, I live in, off 8th Avenue in Cedar Rapids. And so it was a nice little spot because, like, we're towards – we're in the middle of everything like that because, like, everybody's like, oh, 8th Avenue is the hood. Well, no, not really because, like, as soon as I go, like, two blocks over, there are big houses. There are nice houses, right? I go two blocks over the other way. Yeah, you know, we're in, we're in kind of a dicey area. But, like, I never felt, like, the threat of, like – Oh, this is truly we're in poverty. You know what I mean? Like it was it was never like that growing up. Both my parents worked. Um, my dad, probably one of my biggest heroes and stuff like that, but like he he worked hard. He worked third shift for us. He he was there at every one of our sporting events. Like out of eight kids, he was there at every event that there was, you know. And then my mom ended up um she worked for the Workforce Development Center. Now, I will add, she's a graduate of the University of Iowa, too. She had a chemistry major when she graduated there as well. But, yeah. like, my parents weren't going to let me fail. You know what I mean? Like, there's there's no failure. Like, I wasn't going to go through the cracks or anything like that. So, like, I had such a strong and great home environment where, like, I could see what my older brothers and sister were doing and everything like that. And, like, it was just such a great example. And that's why it's important, like, Fathers are important in the black community, you know, just so important to have that stable dude around to kind of guide you along with the mom, you know, like two parent households are very important, especially for young black kids. Mm. So, you know, growing up. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, so um, eight kids, what number are you? You and your twin brother from the eight. All right. So Kevin is seven and I am number eight. I'm the youngest. Oh, so you're like the baby of the baby, like yep. So you're yep. Like, you're like eight out of eight. I'm eight out of eight. That's uh, me. So you, everybody else got that whooping before you came, and so when you came, you're like, yeah, there is no you. Ha- there is no failure for you, right? Let me tell you this: when you see the whoopings happening, and you're a young kid, you're like, <laughs> you know, it's you're just, that ain't happening to me, right? Right. <laughs> you know? right. And so you see, like, their mistakes and everything like that, but then also like. When you're eight of eight, there's no, there's no tricks that you can pull. There ain't no, hey, I'm heading over to such and such's house. My yep. mom was like, no, you're not. <laughs> I'm like, no, but we're we're just literally going over there. To, no, you're not. Like, <laughs> and so like, I had a set list of people that I could hang out with because like, the older ones ruined it for me. You know yeah. what I mean? They had run all the tricks and everything like that. By the time I was around, she she knew everything that was gonna happen. Nice. <laughs> oh, all right. So let's talk a little bit about uh, growing up in Cedar Rapids, the town itself. And then we'll talk about what you had mentioned, the importance of fatherhood. Um, so Cedar Rapids, again, it's it's not, I mean, it's not a bad neighborhood or anything, but like you said, it's sort of divided into the one side is, you know, all the rich people, right? I mean, they have nice houses, big houses and whatnot. And then there's the factories, there's the businesses. But then there's like, you know, a, a neighborhood in Cedar Rapids that is called the Black neighborhood. Um, yeah, and yeah. 
and, and it's where it's sort of like you go and everybody else is outcast, right? And they call, you know, the neighborhood, those people. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of, you know, um, uh, migrants and, you know, there's a lot of the people from different cultures. So growing up in Cedar Rapids, you know, were you exposed to all of this different blackness or black identities within the Cedar Rapids environment? And how did that make you feel? Well, I can tell you Cedar Rapids is a very blue collar town, mm-hmm. you know, uh, there are a couple places out there where they do have white white collar jobs and everything like that, but it's pretty much very blue collar. Um, so growing up, I can tell you when I hit elementary school, um, it was different. Like, so I I had gone to a sitter before going to elementary school, and there were black kids that we would play around with and everything like that, which was cool. Some of them I still talk to today, but like then you go to school and it's like all of a sudden it's like you're with other kids, but you're maybe one black kid in a class of like 24 kids. And so, you know, you go ahead and tell me how that feels, you know, it's a little bit isolating, but then like at the same time, as you're going through those grades, like second, third, fourth grade and everything like that, it's kind of crazy because that's the norm. That's, that's what you grew up with. And so if you were ever paired with another black kid in your class, like let's say that there were three, you in the class right? out of 24 kids, Eddie, it was on. It was on. Because <laughs> you, know? you never saw, like, you saw them on the playground and stuff like that. Yeah. But then it's like, you know, you go back to the classroom and everybody's all, like, dispersed, you know? Yeah. So you go on the playground and, yeah, you all are playing basketball and stuff like that. But after that, it's like back to the classroom. You're, you're mm-hmm. one one dude out of 24 kids or something like that. So, I mean, it was it was cool, but, like, I don't know, Eddie, like, I hate to say that there's this air of, like, superiority, because that's what happens in the black community for some reason, like, for some reason, like, others think they're better than and whatnot, so, like, you're casted within this group of black kids, and it's just weird. And that, that's within the black community itself, right? So you talk yeah. about the black folks either competing with each other or some black folks mm-hmm. thinking they're better than in other black folks uh, because of whatever reason. Um, so, so again, you consider Rapids, predominantly white space, growing up elementary school, you were one of like the very few mm-hmm. um, blacks in the school. Um, did did you notice sort of how the kids treated you when you were in elementary school as far as like looking at you differently, treating you differently along the same lines? Do you ever remember um, the some, any level of unfair treatment at that early age? Um, so as far as the other kids, like, yeah, there's teasing and everything like that. But, I, you know, I'm not trying to cast it off, but like they're just kids. They don't know any better. You know, you know what you are in the household and whatnot. So as far as like all that, no, I wouldn't say like it was like outlandish where they're like, you're black. You know what I mean? No, it it wasn't like that. I I would say the only unfair treatment that I would have said is like I was behind in a lot of things. And like a lot of kids, a lot of black kids, you know, they're like, well, I'm not good at math. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And for me in elementary school, math was far too paced. Well, when you're in a in a big family like I was, like, yes, my mom did what she could to help us, you know, go ahead and recoup those skills and everything like that. Yeah. But like, you're also divided between like however many other kids are in the house. Like, you got to make dinner, you got to get them to practice, you got to do this, you got to do that, yeah. you know. And so, 
I take a look at my situation compared to my parents' situation. Like I'm able to sit there and work on math and reading with, with my two kids, you know, we're able to do these things every day, right. you know, where, whereas my parents, they were, they were all over the place trying to keep it together and they did a good job keeping it together, Eddie. But like, you know, when you're young and like you, you have to catch up and everything like that, it sucks. And so I can remember like division and multiplication being like really, really hard. Yeah. And my mom would sit there, we'd be at the table and we'd be doing it, you know? And I can remember being like, Oh gosh, this is such a drag. But like other kids, the, you know, the other kids just knew it. Why they were in smaller families, right? They're in better situations. Yeah. You know, their, their parents had better paying jobs where they could go ahead and focus on all this stuff. Like, that's one thing I realized as a father, like, I only have two kids and I have a great job with the university and I can focus more effort and more resources into my two than I could if I had like five or six. Right. You yeah. know? Yeah. Now that, that Again, that makes a, a lot of sense because, again, you know, um, part of, you know, the black story or the black identity is, um, again, some black folks, the working black person um, usually will have one or two or you know three jobs right and even those that don't have the you know that have really good jobs a lot of times the, we, we we're not aware of the resources that are out there for us to take advantage of right yep and yep. We'll, we'll get to that in a bit yeah um, we'll get to that like yeah. as we get through this but right. like but yeah. again, it's simple because like, you know, there are things that, you know, I, I like even right now that I'm trying to find for my daughter that I found out that, oh, there is, you know, this particular school or this particular resource or there's this program yep. that I can sign up my daughter for. But, you know, as a black person, like there's no way for me to actually know that if it wasn't for you know, my white friends in, you know, those spaces and using mm -hmm. their network. Right. Yep. So I guess my question is if, you know, we as black people, you know, again, for you coming from a big family house, mm -hmm. um, you, you, did, you weren't aware of those resources and you didn't grow up using those resources. And now you're a father. Like, how are we going to find those resources for our children? <laughs> so here's the sad part. And, you know, growing up, I would say like the biggest thing I saw was like the rap videos in the 90s. Those were great. Yep. You know, you see the professional athlete on TV growing up, yep. and those are the two examples of people that you see. Otherwise, you see, like, the gangster. You right. know what I mean? So those are the examples that you see. So, yeah, when you're talking about how do we get those resources, I don't know. Like, unless I'm an athlete or I'm a musician, you know, like, you don't know about some of these resources. I will tell you this, Eddie. Like, I maybe I subscribe to the wrong thing, but, like, as a black dad, it's like I know every sports league that my kid can be in. <laughs> <laughs> you yep. know, I just found <laughs> out like a whole bunch of basketball trainers that I could go ahead and, and put them in because that was right. something I was looking for. You give me anything sports related and all of a sudden it's like the the, the dads are asking me. Right. You know, yeah. it, like like I should automatically assume and know this stuff. And sometimes it's like, no, I don't know what league to put your kid in. Like, right. I'm trying to figure that out myself, you know, but they <laughs> they look to me to be able to do that. And like. And maybe I'm doing it the wrong way, but like I could tell you these leagues, you know, which ones I would go ahead and do and why I would go ahead and do them and whatnot. Now, as far as like other resources, like I there's a lot of things I found out, but let's let's roll it back though and, and go through like growing up in Cedar Rapids a little yep, bit yep, more. Yep. Yeah, I, we can get to high school. Know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because we'll we'll yep. get through middle school, we'll get through high school, and then we'll yep. talk about like all these resources that I found out as an adult that I wish I would have had 
as yep. a child. So like rolling back to like middle school, you know, that's when it got real. Okay. So all of a sudden these elementary schools come together. Right. And I'm going to McKinley middle school there in Cedar Rapids, which it, it's frowned down upon because they think that's where all the ghetto kids go. But like, it wasn't a bad school, Eddie. Right. It wasn't a bad school. Like just because like, that's where a lot of the, um, black people go to and yes it's lower income and whatnot but like yeah. it was on eddie like all of a sudden you you know all these other black people you're seeing a whole lot more black people yeah there's a lot more dust-ups and everything like that but like middle school was great but it was also like it, it was it was a time of growth for me because like i just was not self-esteem wise i just wasn't there as a kid right you know pro- I, I wish I would have played like some sports a little bit more as a, as like a youth. Cause like, I really feel like sports and other activities go ahead and build that confidence. And so that's why I'm very much an activities pusher. Yep. And so, but like, I just wasn't interested in it cause I was being dragged around to like all my siblings activities, <laughs> right, like right. literally it, like yeah. there was something <laughs> every week and I was being dragged around. So I, I like the time at home, you know, but um, we get to middle school and it just, it was a time of growth because, like, again, my self-esteem wasn't there. I mean, at one point, like, you know, my mom was in there trying to get me get me to get through, like, seventh grade, right? Yeah. And I had a teacher that just was like, nope, we're not doing anything. We can help him. Despite my mom being in, in there with this teacher, daily calls and everything like that. And, you know, eventually I had to switch, you know, the other to another set of teachers to help push me through and to give me a little bit more confidence. Cause like, it just wasn't resonating, you know? And I felt bad at that point. But then after that, it was like, okay, here's the bulb. I got to work harder to do things, you know, like at, at that point, I'm like, look, I can either wallow in the self-pity or I can go ahead and, and think more highly of myself. And my parents, again, they weren't going to let me fail. So they were able to go ahead and make those connections, move me over help me out with my homework a little bit more. They, they really doubled down. You know what I mean? They really doubled down to help me out. And so we got through middle school, no problem. And then we get to high school and it's like, now I'm playing football and like we're doing all these sports and whatnot. And the confidence level just goes up, but also like you're still a little bit behind. You know what I mean, Eddie? Like we talk about like the job that I'm in and I'm an application developer. And one thing I did not know, like, as we get into high school again, I, so I went to Cedar Rapids, Washington there in Cedar Rapids, full of black kids, you know, like it, it was nice. It was nice. Cause you're getting more and more of your identity. Then again, like what is the identity that you should get? Right. But we get there to Washington. Right. And I remember being like, I want to make video games. Right. And they had a programming class and everything like that. So I took the programming class, like my senior year. And that's how I got into like application development pretty much is i'm like i was a kid with the dream in a video game magazine and i'm like i'm going to go make video games right, right. so i got to learn how to program right i go there and that was like the first time i had ever felt like really really behind in things right mm-hmm. i go there and like again i'm the only african-american kid didn't really know what i was getting myself into but like here are all these kids and and they know how to program why because they've been doing it since freshman year right. in high school if not seventh eighth grade in middle school you know what i mean like these are resources that a lot of black kids don't have having a computer at home is huge especially if you're trying to learn that stuff eddie and mm-hmm. so it's the first time i felt behind but i wasn't going to let it to, to, to deter me yeah. so we get through high school 
right? Well, let me, let me, let me. So let, let's let me ask you about junior high. You were talking about, um, you know, the teachers and stuff like that. Again, me, I think you've heard my story before. Like when mm-hmm. I was in high school, my guidance counselor flat out told me, "Hey, Eddie, you're not going to make it in college, right? You know, you mm-hmm. should go." get a job at McDonald's or something like that, you know, <laughs> like, you know, be a high school dropout and whatever, right? Look at right. The schools. Um, you know, and you were just telling me about, you know, the thing with your your junior high teacher and stuff like that. Um, did you feel at all that you were empowered um, by your teachers as a black, um, a black boy in junior high? Or was it more of like, you know, they saw you and, you know, they took your weaknesses and interpreted that as, oh, no, this boy is not going to make it anywhere, right? Again, nothing against mm-hmm. teachers. I love teachers. I love, you know, educators. You know, both of my parents are educators. But, you know, do you think um, as a Black man, you know, in that mm-hmm. time in your life, um, did you feel empowered by your teachers? And I ask this question because there's a huge statistics out there that a lot of Black kids now growing up in the school system Mm-hmm. They don't really feel empowered by the teachers, right? Because, you know, they, they become, be, because their minds are very curious and they want to do things. And instead of, you know, finding those things for them to do, they become labeled as a problem child because mm-hmm. they're bored and they want to do more, right? And they're not being enabled to do more. Um, how was that for you? I mean, did you feel like you're empowered by your teachers at all? Or did you feel like you're just like, you know, labeled as one of those black kids that you're not going to really make it. <laughs> I mean, I felt like I I got labeled as you don't get it. You know what I mean? Like you don't get what we're trying to teach you. I'm telling you, this is how you do it. And you're just not doing it. You're, you know, like she was frustrated with me and, but she, she was frustrated, but it's not like she was like overtly trying to be like, I'm flunking this kid. You know what I mean? Like, she's just like, he's not doing it. He's not doing what my expectations are. And she had been doing it for a long time. And I will tell you this, maybe, maybe the thing is like, maybe she needed to adjust her teaching style to help me out. You know what I mean? But like, as a, as a teacher and the authority figure up there, you got a curriculum to teach and you got to do it, do it. Um, I guess, Eddie, I'm all about like, it's on me as an individual to go ahead and, and do some of this stuff. And at that point, I, it, I just wasn't doing what I needed to do. Like, I didn't get it. Now, going through life, the lessons of life has, have also taught me a couple things. Like, if I'm not meeting expectations, I need to go ahead and I need to sit down with the individual and be like, all right, what is it that I need to do? How can you help me achieve that? Number two is big. How can you help me achieve that? Because then you have to put in stake to go ahead and help me go ahead and do that. And not a lot of people want to do that, you know? like especially in a workplace or like a school environment, you know, like they don't want that stake. They're like, it's your fault. You're not doing this. Well, yeah, it very well is. But when I'm asking for your help, you know, is it up to you to provide that obligation to help me out and get me over whatever it is that we need to do? Or are you just go right. sit back and do it? Like when, if a teacher has that opportunity to go ahead and a kid's like, Hey, I'm, I really want to pass. I need help though. I'm going ahead. I'm going to go ahead and put in the work, but I need your help. You know, as a teacher, if you're not going to help, you know, and I'm not saying like, oh, well, I need to up your grade or anything like that, changing points or anything. No, it's okay. Let's put yeah. together a plan. You come here after school every day. We will review what we've gone ahead and done, like a little personal tutoring session or whatnot. 
You know, these are things that black kids don't necessarily have the, like the bravery to go ahead and ask about all this stuff. Instead, I just kind of felt dumb, you know, like. Yeah, again, you know, you're absolutely right because you bring up a good point. Um, A lot of times because we are, we're either afraid or because we're, we we're well, yeah, we're afraid that, you know, they're going to call us dumb or they're going to think we're not, we're not smart enough to do this. And because of this labeling internally, we're pretty shy to act for help, right? Because again, mm-hmm. when you go home, you know, your parents are, you know, busy working, making sure, you know, you get the education you need. And, you know, most of the time they might not get time to actually provide um, the time you need to teach you, right? Because they need to be working and making money for you to go to school. Mm-hmm. Um, again, not all, not all black family, black families are the same, but most, most of the time, that's usually what happens, mm-hmm. right? And, um, you know, and Eddie, I'm going to say this, it was stupid stuff, like not handing in homework on the time where it needed to be not, you know, mm-hmm. not getting all the parts done of it. Like, I think any middle schooler goes through that, but like, there's a sense of responsibility that you have to do. Like when you're going ahead and doing this stuff, like if you have a three page paper to write, write down the three page paper, you know, it was just something I wasn't able to do because I didn't think I was smart enough. And and we're going, when we get later on into this, you're going to see the change, man. It's amazing. (laughs) It's amazing. So like, you know, as we're going through that stuff, yeah, it's just, I felt dumb. I didn't feel like I, I could go ahead and ask anybody how to do things in middle school. You know, mm. I, I, I felt dumb asking other kids because I, I felt like they're going to think I'm stupid, but kids think you're stupid anyway. So you might as well raise a hand and ask, you know, if you're not getting it, go ahead and ask the questions that you need to. But I will. Uh, yeah, you're right. But then mm-hmm. there's a thing about being the stupid black boy or the stupid white boy, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of times, even at kids, or you know, yeah, as kids, you know, we internalize when somebody calls you stupid and you're black. There's a big difference, at least you know, for me, there was than if mm-hmm. somebody called a white boy stupid, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know again. I don't know if it's the gravity of it, but it's just you know, there's something more damaging. It just hurts <laughs> it, more. Right. It, it hurts more. It does. Right. I mean, because you already know as a as a black kid, like there's a difference, yeah. you know, yeah. there's a difference, you know, especially in middle school. You felt that difference. Right. All of a sudden, it's not like, oh, you're a cute little boy in elementary school, you know, come about. What is it? Fourth grade here in America. Mm. All of a sudden you're seen not as a cute kid. Right. But like as a threat. Yeah. And, uh, yep. Okay. And, and yep. it's sad. It's sad that you're viewed as like a threat, you know, because like, oh, well, you're just more dangerous and everything like that. No, we're we're the same thing. We're you know, there's no difference. You know, there's no difference. So uh, let's talk about high school right before college. Um, yep. and you, you were in high school. Um, what was high school like for you growing up in Iowa, going to high school? So I was lucky enough to go to Cedar Rapids, Washington, when it was like at its prime. Okay. okay. What I mean by at its prime is like it was the number one high school in the state. And it was the number one high school in the state because it could offer all these um, all these accelerated courses. And even if the accelerated courses weren't there, it was like the regular courses were at a really good quip at everything like that. And so 
it was refreshing to go ahead and get like Cedar Rapids, Washington had like the rich and like the poor and it all came together and it mixed well together yeah. at that point, you know? And so if you're somebody who wasn't just getting into trouble or anything like that, Cedar Rapids, Washington was great. Now there are a couple drawbacks to that though, because they're offering so many advanced placement courses. If you're not taking advanced placement courses, there's no way you'll be in the upper half of the class, which is crazy. Think about that. You know, in high school, they have an upper half and a lower half. Yep, yep. And just to take one advanced placement course mm. puts you in the upper half. Right. So, like, if you're not, if you're not there to take like an upper, you know, an advanced placement course, you know, but you're still getting all A's, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yep. Amen. I, I, I was. Yep. I. And so again, you don't really know. So I didn't even know about mm. that, right? And. Yeah. That's the thing. I think a lot of black families don't know about that. So I was, I had a, a great GPA and I remember getting all mostly ace in my classes. Mm -hmm. I never had to study or anything like that. Um, and I, I was getting ace, right. But mm -hmm. again, it was, it, it became realistic that there is definitely a divide of there's the top, you know, people taking all of the AP classes and then yep. the, the people that are, you know, taking all of the college prep classes. And then there's the rest of us that they dump into the lower level, which, oh, you know, what? these kids are not going to make it. Um, they're just going to, you know, drop out of high school or, you know, go end up mm -hmm. working like, some job somewhere else. And it's crazy that for me, at least, how the system or especially the education system in the United States, it's set up like that to make kids either fail or mm -hmm. do not give the same opportunity for all of the kids to right. be in the same space. Right. I mean, so the kids do have the opportunity. Just are you, are you confident enough to take a course like that? But still because of that system, there's that divide, you know what I mean? And then like, it doesn't take into account any extracurricular activities that you had. So that was one thing my parents did when I was in high school. They're like, you're going to be a part of something. Because if you're not a part of nothing, what are you doing? You're not doing anything. Think about that. You know, some people think, oh, I'm sitting at home. No, if you're not doing nothing, you're doing the wrong thing. You know what I mean? Like, get involved yeah. into something so that you can go ahead and do that. So it was like sports, track and field, and football. Like, those were the main things. Go there and lift and do my workouts and everything like that. That's what I was a part of, you know? And it serves you well. It serves you well to be a part of something. But, like, you could be taking these AP courses and everything like that, but still playing a sport. And like, think of it like this, like the top kids who are going to like Stanford, I'm taking nothing but AP courses. I'm in cello lessons. I'm the first chair in my orchestra. Right. I do sports, you know, yeah. like I do X, Y, I'm president of the, like president of the class and stuff. Like You think yeah. about like all that stuff just to get you into like Stanford, Princeton, Harvard, like right. an Ivy league school. Yeah. It's kind of nuts that, you know, not a lot of kids know you need to do that stuff. Yeah. You know, just yeah. be involved in whatnot. Yeah. So, so what, sorry. Mm -hmm. So, what, what was college like for you then? Because okay. <laughs> so I can tell you, when I graduated high school, I graduated with a like two point six GPA, right? Yeah. Uh -huh. And I don't, I don't think that's bad. That's a little bit above C average. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yep. I, the standard of which we grade people, I think, is just amazing. You know, like C's are C's are bad. You want to get an A or a B. And I'm like, no, C ain't bad. It's it just means maybe 
maybe I could have applied myself a little bit more or something like that. And, and that should be okay. But like, I can tell you, Eddie, I was sweating bullets, right? Towards mm-hmm. the end where I got graduated, like I was always going to graduate high school. That was, that was the expectation, yeah. you know? Like I, I hear in like other cities, like middle school graduation is like the peak expectation of everything. And I'm like, that's the thing, <laughs> you know, like I was always going to graduate high school. Right. And my parents knew that they wanted to get me to go to college. Right. So it was time to go ahead and apply for colleges, Eddie. And I had three choices. I had Iowa State. I had University of Northern Iowa and I had Iowa. My mom told me if you apply for a private school, we, we can't pay for it. Right. And she's like, you're too poor. You ain't going to be able to pay for it either. So I had three options coming out of high school, right? You know, two, six GPA. I'm in sports and everything like that. I had good recommendations from like my counselors because they knew that we were good, good people. We're part of the homecoming court and everything like that. Our peers really liked my twin and I. And I think a lot of that is because like, there's two of us. So you see us all the time. All the time. Right. Yeah. You know, so that was nice, but like, I can remember getting rejected to Iowa State and University of Northern Iowa. And I'm like, oh, man, go have to go to community college. or I'm going to have to get a job. This is bad. So when that letter from Iowa came and they said, you've been accepted, I was on I was just like on cloud nine. Right. And I know that sounds kind of sad, but like that was that was the college that accepted me. Yeah. But also it came with a disclaimer. And I'll, I'll never forget this. They're like, we want you to go into the Iowa link program. And I can tell you this, like, that was probably the most beneficial thing that probably happened, you know, right after high school was the fact that I got accepted and they put me into Iowa Link. I can remember one of the counselors, her name was Betty May. She was the one, she was a black lady and she set up this program and she's like, just because someone's not in the upper half of their class doesn't mean that they won't have success in college. Yeah. And so that's what this whole program was out there to show was the fact that our admission standards aren't lenient enough for some kids. You know what I mean? So I can remember enrolling and we get to college now. I'm in my freshman year and I'm in this Iowa Link program and I didn't know what it was all about. They sit us down for orientation and they're like, look, this is all Iowa Link is. We're going to get you together with this group of kids here. And it was a group of us like all over the place, Illinois, California, obviously here in Iowa. We had some athletes in there as well. And it was like, we're going to get together and we're going to tutor you guys and we're going to show you how to study. Yeah. And it was amazing, Eddie, because I didn't realize how smart I truly was until all of a sudden I'm dealing with other kids from all walks of life, like yep. Illinois and every. I can tell you like, wow, some of the education in Illinois, I, I just cannot believe like. I'm like, you graduated high school, but like, I, I imagine they could say the same thing as me, you know, but right. Iowa has great K through 12, but like all of a sudden you get to college and you see all walks of life and you're like seeing these kids. And I'm like, I'm smarter than you, you know, like right, right. that's what it is, you know? And I can remember buckling down for that first freshman and sophomore year. And cause my mom, my mom and dad said, look, there's two of you. This is how we're going to do it. We're paying for one college, which means both of you get two years in college. And then after that, you guys got to take loans. Yeah. And so, <laughs> you know, and so I can remember those two years, I, I busted my butt, right, Eddie. And I ended up being on the dean's list and everything because one, I, I all of a sudden I learned how to study. Right. It was something I didn't know in high school whatsoever. In high school, you could do the bare minimum, which is turning your homework, mm-hmm. turning it on time. Didn't even have to be all the way done. 
and it's straight C's. You know what I mean? Yep. But all of a sudden, I learned how to study and how to time manage, right? Because like in high school, it's back to back, back to back classes, right? College, it's different. All of a sudden, you have classes every other day. So yeah. then like I'd get done with class. I'd be doing my homework and stuff like that. Go to study group later on that day. Get done. All my stuff is done. So I'm sitting there playing video games and watching TV and stuff like that. And I see all these dudes like cramming, you know, there's a difference when all of a sudden you, you get empowered. Like that was a very empowering moment right there. Eddie is the fact that I was taught how to go ahead and, and, and teach myself, so to speak. Right. So, so in college at this point in time, again, you, you've, you know, you've uh, intertwined or you've been around multiple identities multiple groups of people um and you're in college black man computer science again i did computer science i was actually like what there's i think three of us out of like 150 people that graduated in my class right yep. and this point in time um did your blackness show up at all like so <laughs> here here we go so when we say blackness is it the defined blackness of Sports entertainer, you know, entrepreneur, like the P. Diddy type expectation or the gangster expectation or the or the, you know, like just what you're supposed to be like. Or are you talking about like how you feel as you come into yourself? I'm talking about how you feel like. So uh, did you at some point in time? uh, Let me ask you this. When did you recognize that? Oh, dang, I'm a black man on a white campus. (laughs) Okay. Like what activities? This sounds sad. This sounds sad. Yeah. I never had that realization because like I grew up in that environment all throughout. Like I'm like, Oh, there's just white people around. This is normal. You know what I mean? I I will tell you this though. It went the other way, Eddie. And I know this sounds bad, but like all of a sudden I'm thrust in and I'm trying to figure out like there ain't no black people on campus. Well, there are, but it's not like, it's not like in high school we we're all kind of pitted, pitted together. Campus is spread apart now. Yeah. Okay. So then you have the athletes, which are over here, and then you have like the black people over here. And it's like, where do you fit? You know what I mean? Because yeah. like I can't hang out with the athletes because they are just they're too busy. Despite you know, I was able to hang out with them a couple times. We play spades. We play video games. You know, watch TV and stuff like that. But then also like the other end of it, like who around here can I really hang out with? You know. Right. And so like you see like these these black people on Instagram and stuff like that with like this good, strong black group of friends. And it's like I never found that. Never had that. You know, right. I was I searched hard. I searched high. I searched low. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, was, I, was, that, like was that hard for you, though? Or was it just because, you know, you grew up in Iowa again, you grew up around white people. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was OK for you to be in that environment or was there a time that, you know, you felt really alone in that, that environment? So I did feel alone. I can tell you that, but like I had a great group of friends where I developed in and like, it was awesome once I got, you know, like my core group of friends there in college, but you're right. As like that freshman sophomore year is like, I'm kicking ass. I'm, I'm getting great grades and everything like that. And I'm searching for like that black group of friends because that's what you see on TV. Yeah. I felt alone. Like it was, it was nuts, you know, like I had my twin and everything like that, but then like you meet some black people on campus and like, I just wasn't comfortable enough, you know, like, and the ones that I was comfortable with enough, guess what? Like they're playing sports. 
they don't got time to hang out. You know what I mean? So it's crazy. So then like, I remember going to like the Afro house to try and, you know, trying to develop the identity and really come onto my own and figure out what's going on. Like I can remember computer science being like a big struggle because like, like I said, like these kids have been programming since like seventh, eighth grade, Uh you know, all of a sudden I'm in college. I'm like, I want to do more video game stuff. I had one year previously programming. Like I got there and all these other kids knew how to program. And here I am like, again, dumb black kid. Like, how do I go ahead and do this? Well, you know, you go ahead and use your resources, right? You go and ask for tutors and whatnot. And by that point it was like, yeah, I know what I'm asking for, you know, like it's going to be okay. But like, you know how it goes. Like you're trying to figure out where you fit at in society and everything like that. And, you know, again, there's no real black people to hang out with. Then again, black, black people at Iowa, I mean, makes like what 6% of the campus or something like that. I can't remember the exact statistic, but like 3%, you know, I think it's like, well, now it's like 3%. Uh, mm-hmm. It's crazy. Um, but anyway, sorry, go ahead. But like the majority is that is in athletics. So, you know, and so, yeah, it was, it was hard coming into myself. And like, even now, like when I hang out with a bunch of black people, like, it gets awkward at first. Yeah. Like, I know that sounds sad, but it, it's a little bit awkward at first. But then, right. like, once I know that I get a good vibe from them, like, all of a sudden I know that they're of similar backgrounds like me or, like, they live a similar lifestyle, then it becomes cool. Right. But, like, yeah. I can remember after college, like, I went to Chicago to hang out with my twin and a dude I'm in a black dad's group with there in Chicago. His name is Kevin Bryant. Like, I went to a party over at his place. At first, I felt a little bit awkward because there was just a whole bunch of black dudes there, black and, there. <laughs> you know, and they had brought their girlfriends and stuff like that. Right. But like, I didn't know what to talk to them about. And then all of a sudden, you know, we get about 20 minutes in and then it's like, yeah. well, these guys are the exact same thing as me. Like right. they are working, they are paying rent, they are doing everything. It was easier to relate. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah, you know, it, it's <laughs> again, this conversation is pretty interesting because even being black, there's a lot of times that you don't you find it awkward to hang around other black people, um, mostly because, again, you there there is that I, again, I don't know if it's stigma. I don't know. It's fear. Yeah. Like, I don't quite know what it is, but there are times that I'm like, you know what? I don't really want to hang out with this group of black people or that group yeah. of black people. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and, and I don't know if it's just because of the, the society or the culture that creates this, um, fear or this, um, stereotypes about, you know, the, the black population that sometimes even us black folks don't want to hang out with other black folks. I mean, it's almost (laughs) as if there's a caste system, right? And I'm like, yeah, that's not how it should be. Like, it's just weird because like, Oh, well, I don't want to hang out with them because like they they're too black. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. they play into the stereotype. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, that's the expectation that people at, have. Like right. even now it's like I have like in college, I had friends like, you're the whitest black person I know. Right. Well, if if getting good grades and trying to make a career and graduate college is white, then screw then you, dude. I, yeah, I want to be white. <laughs> then screw you, dude, because I I want to be able to provide for myself when I graduate. You know what I mean? So if that's considered being white, okay, then you can go live in debt, live at your mama's house and and figure out what you want to do. But like, no, I'm going to go take care of mine, you know? And I I really hate that. Like who, who defines blackness? 
You know what I mean? Or who defines whiteness? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if somebody says, "Oh, you're just you're you're just one of them white black dudes," I mean, what does that even mean, right? Mm-hmm. Just because you have a darkest skin does not mean you can't be smart and you can't be intelligent and you can't do all of these things that right. you know regular white folks are doing. And if you speak proper English or you're very articulate or you know what you're doing, all of a mm-hmm. certain you're a white black man. Like I mean, forgive me for not mumble rapping to you. You know what I mean? You know, like for, <laughs> yeah. forgive me for not mumble rapping because that's black. You know what I mean? Like right, right. No, mumble rap was horrible. <laughs> I'm glad we got rid of that stuff. Glad that's out of the black culture. Oh my gosh. But you know what I mean? Like I should be able to talk with like people and have them understand me. Right. You know. Like that—that's something that should just flat out be done. Like you should be legible to other people. Yeah. Like I, I really hate that fact about like our culture is like, oh, well, I'm defining you as white because you got a good job. Well, yep. Eddie, you have a great job. You know what I mean? Yep. You know, like, so what? Are you are you white? No, nah, Eddie, you're good because you're in athletics. Well, what? What? <laughs> what, 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 what does that mean? You know what does that mean? You know, like, it, it's crazy. And so, so like, I, yeah. I graduated Iowa with a computer science degree and then um, worked my way here at the University of Iowa. It's been great. Let's talk a little bit about the blackness in America, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so let, 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 me, let me ask you this. Again, I, I struggle with this. One of the reasons mm-hmm. why I started so podcasting is because I, I started, I struggle with, you know, um, you know, black identities as seen by other races, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I struggle with, you know, do people look at me and then the first thing they see is, oh, wow, look at that guy with the crazy hair. He's so black or mm-hmm. so this, right? And then, you know, the stereotypes and, you know, the the preconceived notions and all of those things. Um, and I was like, wow, like, I wonder if, you know, things like George Floyd and, you know, Breonna Taylor and, you know, the Amy Cooper's incident happened. Mm-hmm. If my people within my circle, like look at me and be like, Oh, that could never happen to Eddie. Right. Um, first of all, what did George Floyd do to you? And I assume you watched the video. Mm-hmm. What did that do to you as a black man? Okay. So what George Floyd did for me, yeah. One, it made the me realize. Death, yeah, the death of George Floyd. What right. did it do to you? It made me realize that one, I need to start having conversations with my two boys, seven and four years old, about race. Mm-hmm. You know, why do I need to have a conversation about race with a seven and a four year old? You know, the, like at some point they're going to realize it's different, and so it has to be an ongoing communication, right? Right. And so I don't know what exactly that communication is going to be. Like I looked up children's book, books about blackness, which by the way, don't do that. Don't do that. It's sad. It's sad. Yep. In my opinion, it's sad. The fact that I have to have a book that says I should, I should be okay being black, mm. you know, like, so one, it made me realize that I'm going to have to figure out how I'm going to approach the conversation with them. Okay, Eddie. Cause yep. like what you want to do is you don't want to have the talk you know, right before they start driving and stuff like that it needs to be an ongoing thing. Yep. And then two, it made me realize that we need to hold our police force more accountable. Right. Like they are there to serve and protect Eddie, but that's not what they do. Hmm. And it's because they're not trained to do that. They're not trained to go ahead and serve and protect. They're not trained to go ahead and diffuse the situations. They are trained to enforce the laws. Right. Now there's a difference. You can uphold the law 
and you can enforce the law. Right. Okay. We as a community can go ahead and do things to educate ourselves. And so I want to get to this real quick, Eddie. So like I'm a father of two kids. And one of the things that I realized growing up is like, I did not have the supplemental instruction that I can provide for my kids. Right. A couple things here. So like, as I, as I get my kids into other activities, like things that are free, like you could go to Home Depot after this pandemic and they can do like a build and grow program, right? Hmm. I can remember the first time I took my eldest son to this build and grow program. So I get there and I'm thinking, oh, this is just going to be a fun activity for my son to do, right? Yeah. And I get there in Cedar Rapids and I see nothing but like, like there is a place called Rockwell Collins where they do a lot of engineering here. Yep. I could see a lot of like affluent people bringing their kids into this build and grow. And you could tell they're affluent. They got nice things. And like, you know, so I was chatting up with the dads in Collins, Collins Aerospace. Like you could see like doctor, lawyer, these people were bringing their kid in to just build with their hands, yeah. contractors, business owners, like they're building with their hands. Like, and he was building like a little boat, out of like some wood and stuff like that. And then he got to paint it afterwards. Very big arts and craft things, but you're teaching them how to engineer. You're teaching them how to design. You're teaching them how to paint and see through projects. Right. And it's just amazing to me that, you know, programs like that are available to my, to my son free of charge. Hmm. Like he has to count how many nails he has to make sure he has enough nails and everything like that. It's so much more of an educational opportunity than what I ever got, you know, I got the, here, you can join a sports league, play some basketball. You know what I mean? Like kids have Lego leagues now, Eddie, where <laughs> they take the Legos and they build like a mission to Mars or something like that. Yeah. I'm taking my eldest one to like a Kodo Dojo, like things to supplement the instruction that these white kids had growing up that I didn't have right. is, is remarkable. Yeah. And then two, like, here's another thing. I'm so thankful to be in the group that we're in. Cause like my eldest has come on like the zoom calls. Right. 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 And he has seen a group of professional black men interacting with each other. Yeah. Something I never had when I was growing up, hmm. you know, like my parents encouraged me to go hang out with my friends and some of them had very wealthy parents and allowed me to go ahead and say, what did you do to get into the spot that you're in? It was a wake up call, like coming out of high school and going into high school and coming into middle schools as well. Like it's, it's crazy, you know, like, hearing their stories and see that they worked hard to get there. It inspires you. But like, you know, having you guys around, especially like to see Caleb know that you're a person who runs a department, you know, like that's something I never saw. I saw a lot of working class black people growing up. I didn't see like the upper echelon where it's like, I run departments, I'm in management. I do this, I do that. Yeah. You know, these are things that, that lack. And so like, I can go ahead and show my kids this type of stuff, Eddie, and it's beneficial and it lets them know that they can go ahead and believe and achieve. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about um, now you're, you're a black man, a professional, um, but it's not easy being a black man, professional, and even, you know, back into the rapids where you grew up. Mm -hmm. um, you still, you have to have the black conversation with your seven-year-old son about, mm -hmm. you know, what it means to be black, right? And then okay. also, like, even now, and I know we're having a conversation about, you know, being a black man and, you know, even in your own neighborhood, you have to be careful on how you present yourself, right? Um, yep. 
tell me a little bit about you know some of the 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 things that you do that a lot of people might not think about being black in a white neighborhood yeah so we talked about the threat right like all of a sudden you get that magic number for some reason like let's say it's like 10 years old as a black kid and all of a sudden it's like the red alert this this it's a black kid on the corner you know what i mean he must be up to no good you know so you know you hit that threat level at like 10 years old which is really really sad you know and like I had that as like a teenager and whatnot, you know, you go to Best Buy and you get, you get pulled over by the security guard. So now, you know, now that I'm older and I'm wiser, you know, one of the things I do is I make sure if I'm going out, like people have to know what I'm doing. Like if I'm going down to the mailbox, this sounds sad. If I'm going to the mailbox, I have my keys in my hand. So people could see I have a key and I must be going somewhere. Where am I going? I am going to the mailbox. If I am going around the neighborhood, Eddie, I have my kid on the bike with me and I didn't even realize this. This is something I didn't realize this. I saw an article on like yahoo.com about a black dad talking about how he doesn't walk in his neighborhood alone. And I've read this article. I'm like, this is something I subconsciously do. You know, like if I'm going somewhere around the neighborhood, I have to have one of my kids. Like they have to be in a power wheel driving around and I'm walking around or I have to have a wagon or something. I have to have something that, gives me the validity for walking around the neighborhood, you know, because if not, why is this guy walking around the neighborhood? He must feel to no good. You know what I mean? Like, no, like there, there has to be a little bit more substance to it. And I, like, I feel like it's sad. Like I've read that article. I'm like, wow, I do this. And I'm like, this is kind of sad that I can't walk around my own neighborhood without feeling like I need to be justified in doing some things. So now it's like, I've become the friendly neighborhood black guy. Right. So I make sure I know my neighbor's names. I say hi to everybody I see down the street. Like, I'm not lying to you. Like, it's hi to everybody, Eddie. Like, it's to make sure that they know who I am and that they're comfortable with me. It's nuts. It's nuts that I have to do this as like a black man. Man. So what 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 can we do to fix this? <laughs> I mean, so as black people, what mm -hmm. can we do to fix this? Is there anything we can do as black people to fix this? So my big thing is, and we've talked a lot about this too, Eddie, is like, we got to educate our youth into getting some of these big time jobs, like all these other people have. And once more and more people see that we have good jobs and that we have good education, it's not going to be the norm to go ahead and say, well, he's up to no good. They're going to be like, well, he's just like me, but like he's different. So education is a big thing. But like, how do you educate when all of a sudden you don't have like a two parent household and one of the parents is out there? What we go ahead and go to big brothers, big sisters. I mean, that's only so much you can do. You know what I mean? As a big brother or a big sister, like. It's sad in the fact that we need those resources and these I, especially children, they need the resources to go ahead and grow and to flourish. And right. when those resources get taken away, you know, it's harder to go ahead and achieve that stuff. And so I would say this, like if you have an African-American son or daughter, you get them to see other African-Americans who are doing it right. and you, and you show them, this is the life that you can build. And it's good if you work hard, otherwise you show them the other way and be like, these guys aren't doing nothing. So you make your choice. You can live in a good house and, and get everything that you want and go on vacations, or you can live the other way and, and barely scrape by. 
Oh man, <laughs> so much to talk about, man. I, I, hey, listen, I very much appreciate you. So, mm-hmm. what's 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 next? I mean, how how what can we do? Um, because again, I, again, I think like mm-hmm. you were saying, um, there are times that you know we as black people we need to take responsibility. Um, and we need to make sure we are aware of the resources out there. And, you know, we need to be aware of all those things. So what is there? What can we do? Well, I, you know, the hard part is like, I feel like we do a good job networking between each other, Eddie. But it's like, you don't know what you don't know. So what is it that we can do to go ahead and help out with all this stuff? I don't know, man. Like, it's hard because like when I see people like you who are in a similar situation like me, it makes it easy to go ahead and, and say this is what we need to do. But in all of reality, Eddie, I don't have a clue of how we can go ahead and help out. One of the big things I'm very much for is like education. And like I said, showing the fact that we are a professional in the IT space. And if I show that to another black kid and I say, look, I was standing in the same shoes that you were. I was bad at math. I didn't ask for help. When I did go ahead and ask for help, I was able to achieve. Just letting them know that they can achieve great things. Just achieve great things. You know, by seeing other people that are like us. That's the whole thing. We don't see other people that are like us, Eddie. So make yourself present. Because if you don't make yourself present, then you see what? You see the athlete. You see the entertainer. You see the criminal. So I would say that, Eddie, that's the best thing that I know I can do is make sure I make myself present and make myself available for the youth to let them know that they can achieve. Hmm. That's powerful, man. That's powerful. Hey, listen, you're on the edge with Eddie. When I'm talking to my man, Keith Burrell, you know, there's so many little, little things that we don't really even think about. Um, mm-hmm. That makes a big difference. Right. Um, and, you know, these are things that, you know, we need to have conversation about. We need to have the uncomfortable conversations of, you know what? Just because I'm a black man does not mean I know everything about black people, right? <laughs> Just because I'm a black man <laughs> doesn't mean that, you know, all black issues are my issues, right? Because I have my own struggle as a black man and you as a black man also have your own different struggles. And, you know, it's we need to be honest with each other and have those conversations mm-hmm. and be real with each other. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and that's the only way that we're going to grow. Um, but hey, listen, so thank you so much for joining on the edge with Eddie detangling our black identities. Um, you know, I always have a good time with you. It's a blast (laughs) whenever we're together. I mean, I I can tell you this, like there are some (laughs) other things I wanted to talk to you about that we just didn't even get close to, you know, an hour just wasn't enough, man. I know, I know, I know. So what what we're going to do though is, you know, one of these days, um, I am going to get all the black men technology, you know, the coalition together and Mm -hmm. just, you know, have like, you know, conversation. I'll probably do like, you know, three part series conversation with like, what it is because what it is to be black again you know because there's a lot of us from different backgrounds and we're all black men in the same space but yet so different from each other it'd be great to have a conversation about you know what what actually it is like what is what is your black problem what is my black problem or what is mm-hmm. my black identity compared to your black identity right yep um then i can't wait to have that conversation and you know we just need to make it happen but um but hey, hey listen you know i appreciate you yeah um, i appreciate you, know, you too, i got my man. stuff for you but uh, i'm gonna give you a minute i want you to send a message out to the world if you take 
tell a message, if you want to send a message to the world in one minute, what would that message be? I'm going to give you some beats. Go ahead and uh, send out a message to the world. What do you want to tell the world? <laughs> I just want to tell the world that anything is achievable. Like they say that the dream's not there, but the dream is there. You just have to have the will and the knowledge to do it. And don't let the excuse of being black get in your way. Don't let the excuse of being black get in your way. That's just an excuse. There are obstacles that you have to go ahead and traverse, but let's go ahead and traverse them. If you need help, do it with your family, do it with your friends, do it with people who you can reach out to to go ahead and achieve your goals. Your dreams are within reach. Just go get them. (laughs) That's right. Hey, you heard that from Keith Burrell. Your dreams are within reach. Don't let blackness get in the way of what you can achieve because that is really just an excuse because, I mean, just because you're black doesn't mean you can't do anything you can't do. I mean, there are great black people out there doing great things mm-hmm. um, and for our white friends say listen you know yes we all just have the same skin color but we're way so different from each other but it's time that we actually listen to the black stories and have conversations really have uncomfortable conversations about what it means to be black in america detangling our black identities i'm your host eddie ethic keith you're the man pleasure having you on and uh we'll definitely chat later and that's yep. a wrap. that's a wrap Yeah. <laughs>